Welcome to The Art of Social Media, a podcast by Social Pilot. We host in-depth discussions with world-leading social media marketing experts that will help you discover the techniques, strategies, and skills you need to use to grow your business using social media. Now, here's your host, Tejas Mehta. How easy or difficult is it to kind of attribute success to LinkedIn in terms of is it actually uh, really easy? Because uh, on social media, you're doing a lot of free marketing as well, right? I don't know if the customer found me on LinkedIn or the customer found me somewhere else and then just clicked on the LinkedIn ad and kind of worked out, right? Uh, how do you justify that attribution to the end clients? So the, one of the main things I try to do for to set up attribution is I try to push the clients to to have kind of URL checkpoints for the main actions that people are taking. So if they fill out a form on the website, that should push them, it should redirect them to a thank you page. And that gives us a checkpoint because that's, that's one of the easiest one, ways for us to track conversions is they hit this URL, they they interact with this ad, and then they hit this URL. We know that the, the ad was part of the journey and that they ended up taking an action. So those checkpoints, that's what I try to fight for. And as far down the funnel as possible. So they filled out a form, they hit a thank you page. They actually booked the call and with HubSpot or Calendly, that you have the ability to do a URL redirect upon confirmation, push them to a call booking confirmed page on the website again. And then ideally in a perfect world, if they actually purchase from you, even if it's a, a service, at, at either upon purchase, um, we use sales pages, uh, Stripe has this, Pay Kickstart, which I use, has it. I stole that you know, kind of from the e-com world because that's one of the things they track religiously. Like They'll push you to a separate page and then that's how they track conversions. So it's not as much, it's not as prevalent in the B2B world. But the two ways I found is you can do a URL redirect if they're paying by card or whatever. And then even if it's you know bigger transactions, ACH, what you can do is you can make uh, the part of the onboarding process. Usually there's an intake form involved. You can have submission of your onboarding intake form, push them to a welcome page that only paying clients would ever see. So then again, you should be able to set up your attribution for all your ad channels to say, okay, if they interact with their ads and they ended up on this welcome page, we know that's a paying client and this is the conversion value. So that is one of the things I really try to fight for is set up, you know, push them to get pages and URLs set up for their different checkpoints as far down the funnel as we can, kind of agree to values for those. And then, yeah, that way we can clearly point to uh, the ads and say, hey, you know, Maybe it wasn't the last click, it was just part of the journey, but we can show that you know LinkedIn ads contributed to the journey of these booked calls, these purchases, these signups. Uh, and I think that's really valuable. Interesting. So six months campaign and then all this setup, a lot of customers might be, or a lot of your clients might be like very worried that, hey, six months is it going to work? Am I going to run out of patience or money? Or do you face all those objections? I guess the biggest thing is, so if they're, if they're running, so it doesn't take six months, it doesn't take the completion of the six-month roadmap for them to see conversions and a positive ROI. If they have other healthy ad channels, if they have healthy traffic to the website that's already converting, they could start with just retargeting on LinkedIn ads and they could see a positive ROI in you know the first month and a half. But what this framework does is usually with each layer, it improves the efficiency. So say we're building this out, maybe we achieve a positive ROI in month three, so within 90 days, 
But then as we continue to build this out, like the the margins get better, the cost per conversion gets lower, the cost per lead gets lower. So as we flesh out this framework, it just becomes more and more efficient. So yeah, it doesn't take six months for them to reach a profitable ROI. It does just help improve the efficiencies um, as we build that out. But usually, hopefully, they achieve it a lot sooner. Uh, What are some of the mistakes that the first-time LinkedIn uh, ad creators make? Uh, People who are excited about LinkedIn, they want to kind of spend, let's say, $10,000 on LinkedIn but they get it wrong. What do they get it wrong? I would say the top most common mistakes that I see is uh, the first one is they allow too much of the budget to go onto LinkedIn audience network. So just like all ad platforms have their own little nuances, uh, Google has the Google display network. Facebook has like these expansions and lookalike options that can sometimes dilute the targeting. Uh, LinkedIn audience network is one of those. And if you're not careful and without intending to, the vast majority, like 95% of your budget could actually get shipped off of LinkedIn onto these uh, third-party sites, which are just notoriously poorer quality. They're, not to say you should never use those. Uh, there's definitely use, good, useful cases to use them. But I think that'd be one of the biggest pitfalls. You get excited about the targeting on LinkedIn, about the, the mindset of people logging onto LinkedIn, and that's how you want to advertise. And then you look at the ma- the numbers and you realize almost none of your budget actually stayed on LinkedIn. And that's depressing. So that would be the first one. The second one is very similar. Audience expansion uh, is another setting. And on Facebook, it might be a good idea because Facebook's algorithm is very intelligent. It's very mature. And so letting Facebook have more free reigns, uh, bigger audiences, letting them find your prospects, that's good wisdom uh, on there. But for LinkedIn... LinkedIn's algorithm is not that mature. I would not trust LinkedIn, uh, their lookalike audiences or their expansion. Part of the charm of LinkedIn is that you can define your target very well. So I would stick to that and not let LinkedIn have that kind of free reign that you might trust Facebook with. So, And I think that's the other thing. Like They come from Facebook or they're familiar with that. And so they're okay with those settings. But on LinkedIn, that'll get you in trouble. It's not to be trusted, at least not yet. I think it's getting better. So those two, I would say another setting is probably just like not having either any retargeting in place or not having like a retargeting strategy. So I can't tell you how many times I've seen a company that said, yeah, we have five or $10,000 we want to try on LinkedIn. And they spend five or $10,000 on a cold first touch campaign that has either no or poor conversion rates. And then they say, ah, LinkedIn's expensive and it doesn't work. But I've, I mean, I think I said 300, 400 clients in I think there's only been five cases or a handful of cases where we had a a B2B company showing like really good, profitable, cold campaigns on LinkedIn. Almost in every scenario, LinkedIn's charm is its ability to retarget and to qualify those prospects and work them in a retargeting layer. Because unlike e-com and B2C, people aren't buying, you know, you don't you don't just show them your product, they go to the website, and they pull the trigger impulsively, like people aren't impulsively buying $10,000 enterprise software, you introduce them to it, the conversion rates abysmal in the first touch, and then you spend the next three to six months retargeting them and convincing them that they need this, and that they can trust you to provide it. And then you get the conversion. So just funneling $10,000 on a cold campaign for three months, and then throwing in the towel, that's a very, very common mistake that probably shouldn't happen. Those three are probably the the most common mistakes I see. Interesting. One of the things that I kind of uh, read about, and I'm sure you also have read about it, is uh, how ChatGPT is changing people in their marketing process, marketing strategies, uh, creating ads, creating posts, etc. 
have you seen any impact? Uh, are you seeing any help from ChatGPT in LinkedIn ads? I'm actually a fan of ChatGPT. I do think you know it might be over-talked about or people are trying to make it do too much. I don't think it's going to replace the modern marketer. I think the thing it does really good at, and mostly what I've used, like a lot of these uh, AI copywriting kind of tools, is that it's good at coming up with variations or it's good at coming up with first drafts. So say I have you know an ad campaign and I have like some intro text and it's performing well and I want to create some additional variations, already having like something written, throwing it into chat GPT and asking it to come up with three or four additional variations with you know some additional inputs. That's a really good use case for it or having it do the initial draft that a human then comes over because uh, that initial draft can be very time consuming. So we haven't adopted like any kind of workflows internally. Like we're not using it on clients. I've personally used it for some ideas, for some first drafts, for some revision inspiration. I also did actually use it to write a wedding speech. I had a family friend who was really in dire straits and wanted someone to officiate a ceremony. And I looked in their state, it was really easy to get ordained. So I got ordained in a hurry. I used ChatGPT to help write the, the speech. And it was really nice. I found a good framework and I said, hey, ChatGPT, here's a framework for a wedding officiant ceremony. Here's some additional information about the bride and groom and my relationship to them and some things I'd like for you to include and this and this. And it wrote a really good first draft. And then you can come back and you can say, okay, but take this out and change the tone to this and make this part a little shorter. And then it comes back with revision number two. And and then from there, I took it over and you know finessed it a lot, but saved me a lot of time. And so after that, I was a pretty big fan too. This is a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> the best use of ChatGPT, right? <laughs> Wedding speeches. Yeah, that, wonderful. I, my wife is actually using it now. So she had a she was the matron of honor at that wedding. She she used it to help get a first draft of hers. And then she's been writing uh birthday cards to her family and using it to come up with like initial ideas too, because you know, just getting started. So maybe not quite marketing, but I think it it, it does show the some good use cases for it. And even in real life. Who would have thought, right? Yeah, it was pretty, amazing. Yeah, that's a funny story. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All yours. <laughs> uh, talk to me a little bit about your agency. Uh, how big is the agency now? So we have a little over 20 full-time staff. Uh, we were fully remote before. Ah, it's probably, it might be approaching close to 30 now. It's hard to keep track. So we have a, a San Antonio office. We opened a physical office in San Antonio um, after the acquisition. We were all remote and everyone was contractors about a year and a half ago. We kind of moved, took a lot of steps to to kind of legitimize it and um, make it, create a better foundation to scale from. So we opened up a physical office in San Antonio, moved everyone to W-2 salary, introduced benefits, yeah, I think we're somewhere between 20 and 30 full-time staff now. And it's actually, uh, and we kind of, you know, moved into better kind of division of our our team. We have, I think, four sales reps, four full-time sales reps now. And about, I think the, the majority of our company is the account managers. Um, and we we didn't outsource that. Like it's it's all local. Almost all of the account managers are in San Antonio. And then a couple of them are are still remote from our original hiring and then, like I said, we have our first full-time marketer as well to help keep me accountable and honest. And we manage, I think we have a, about 140 active ad clients, and then we have another 40 in some stage of onboarding. So 
about 180 LinkedIn ad clients right now. And we probably have another dozen paused or just in some kind of inactive state. But yeah, closing in on 200 active ad clients, I'm not sure about the total amount of ad spend managed on a monthly basis, but that would probably be an interesting figure too. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. How does scale an agency uh, like yours? Did, did LinkedIn play like a major part, like LinkedIn ads getting your clients or did you have some other strategies as well? The two big elements I think for us was getting the right people, getting the right, and, and I call them like builders. Cause early on, like if you're early stage founder, you're doing most of the stuff yourself, you're writing SOPs and you're getting people to carry out tasks and, and carry out your vision. The only way you're going to scale to something that's, you know, and that might work to scale to a million, you know, annual revenue. But if you're going to scale to 10 million to 50 million, you need, you need to, get more people in your company that are building out segments that are doing taking their own initiative building SOPs uh so that was one of the biggest things like early on i had i had some creative pay strategies to attract two main people to my company they were working full time making i think six figures at their company so it was really hard for me to take try to take them from part time to full time and i had to get really creative with how i'd pay them and and percentages to try to incentivize them they got to the point where they were making six figures there and six figures here before they finally took the leap and and crossed over full time once that happened that really jump started our our scaling one was building out uh sales processes training people uh taking the lead in that they doubled the amount of they quickly doubled the amount of new sales that we were closing on a monthly basis because someone was finally owning that process. We realized so many of our leads, like we were doing one call closes and then there was no follow-up process and there was just so much like waste inefficiencies there because no one was owning it. And the same with operations. So he went into sales, the other guy went into operations, started building out this fleshed out training program inside Trainual, SOPs, hiring. And so now... They're focused on that, which actually freed me up to get back to what I really love, which was running the marketing side, doubling down on you know organic communities, dialing in all of our paid ad strategies. So the second half of that was, I think, our marketing really helped propel us. We took a, a pretty aggressive approach to marketing in that we were rolling a decent chunk of what could have been profit back into kind of marketing you know, we had a $20,000 a month uh, marketing budget, which probably, you know, most companies our size probably shouldn't have been spending. We probably shouldn't have been spending what we were on marketing. And we could have been showing more profit, but we were rolling a lot of uh, money into marketing, into uh, tech stack efficiencies. And I think our marketing strategy really helped propel us because we're getting 150 booked demos per month and we have no outbound motion. We have no cold callers, no cold email other than what I do from the marketing department. It's all our marketing ecosystem and our organic efforts are bringing in 150 people booking calls on our calendar, kind of inbound motion on a monthly basis. And I think so that was a huge driving uh, force of it too. That's super impressive, right? 150 inbound calls. That's that's at the, <laughs> the level of uh, bigger agencies as well. How do you do that? Is all that money spent on LinkedIn or are there like other venues? Uh, what's the secret sauce here? So I can I consider myself kind of a, like a broad, well-rounded marketer. I would say about 8,000. I would say we spend, we spend less than half of the budget on LinkedIn. Uh, so our main channels are Google search. That was, that was always a foundational one. 
Um, but then realizing that Google search traffic retargeted on LinkedIn was an amazing combination. That was kind of that unlocked some stuff for us. And then I started realizing how all the, the different pieces, none of them were in silos. Each new channel should help the other. So it was Google search, and then it was retargeting on LinkedIn, and then it was LinkedIn cold traffic. Uh, we started spending you know four or $5,000 a month on that. I started getting into clutch listings. So it's kind of like G2 for software, but clutch listings for agencies is amazing. I highly recommend it. We probably spend about $5,000 a month on various clutch listings right now. Um, and I'm very happy with that traffic. And I think that is better than Google traffic because Google traffic, you pay for your name to show up when they're searching. Clutch listings is you pay to be on these third-party lists. So they're searching for top LinkedIn marketing agencies. They find a top 100 market LinkedIn marketing agencies in the US list, and you paid to be number two on it. But the, the prospect doesn't know that. They it feels very third-party validation to show up on that list versus it being your own listing. So Google and clutch listings uh, and Bing as well for the search. And then we're retargeting. I think our retargeting game is really strong. We retarget on on LinkedIn. We were retargeting on Facebook for a while, but I, I tested, I've been testing not even retargeting there for a little bit to see how that impacted. And we haven't noticed a big drop-off. Uh, we're retargeting on a platform called Stack Adapt, which houses programmatic display and CTV. And I think those are three really good touches for us. The programmatic and the CTV has been really good. So that kind of ecosystem. And then using uh, the YouTube channel has been really good for us or organic communities kind of fitting into that. And I use the paid uh, channels to distribute our organic. So I'm using, I'm retargeting people on LinkedIn and sending them to our YouTube channel, to my personal, to the newsletter. So I think that kind of mixing the organic and the paid into an, an ecosystem that feeds into each other. I think that's something we've done really well that probably companies way bigger than us, you know, haven't, maybe they haven't had to because they just have more money to throw at each channel. So we've had to get more creative of how to be more efficient with our spend. So I think that kind of intermixing has been really good for us. Uh, this is a pretty interesting combination. Uh, and congratulations on all the growth. That's uh, really exciting. What Thank are some you. of the mistakes that your agencies do? Uh, when somebody's starting an agency or just kind of growing, what are the common mistakes that you see people doing? One of the ones I, I do think revolves around the people. It's it's a really hard balance to know when you can make the investment, uh, either time or money into someone you know who's going to be a builder. So I think some some agencies try to go way too long with just a founder doing everything and then people carrying out tasks but aren't taking ownership in any area. Like you can only do that for so long before either the founder gets burnt out because they're the only one who pretty much cares about anything or, you know, it's not the most, you know, you, you run into inefficiencies or, I mean, if you're the only one who cares and you're the only one who's building, then you're your own limitation. The other thing I, I think that really helped me when I started getting other people in the company, you know, Jonathan on sales and Josh on ops, and then Tina in training and development, and the same with Brian and our team and Carly worrying about client success and taking care of our team. They bring other skill sets, mindsets, they have other priorities. Like, so yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to get to this point if I if I didn't find really good people who also brought like, you know, their own unique skill sets and not hiring people that were just like me. Because I recognize, I think that's another thing that you know agency owners might do do wrong is they find people like them and they you know they have three minis them's, but then all their whole team has the same you know flaws. They have the same weaknesses. I purposely hire people 
whose strengths complement my weaknesses. I'm a, I'm a terrible like micromanager, and not that I want anyone on my team to be micromanaged, but I'm kind of like a head in the clouds like kind of person. I'm terrible at the details. But if I hired five, six people who were all terrible at details, like we would be a mess. Like, so I like to hire people who are really good at working out the details and and that attention and planning and structuring things I don't want to do and I'm not that great at. So I hire people around me that are. So investing in the right people, investing in the right mix of people, people that complement your weaknesses, I think is really big. And then I do think the other thing that that startups I think get wrong is you know how to approach marketing. Like they, I I think I benefited because you know I was a solo founder and I couldn't afford to have people manage all my channels, so I felt like I needed to learn out of necessity. I fell in love with it, and that's not the that's not the and so I you know I scaled as our only marketing person through now, but that's not the path most could take. So I think the challenge they face then is. How do they introduce these new channels? Who do they trust to build it out? If you're hiring agencies to do your Google, you know you they, you can't trust that they know your company intimately. So then you have to be involved in strategy. So I think them having that right involvement with this is my vision, this is what we do best, and I think they need to know enough about each channel to be dangerous. Uh, to have the feedback with whoever's and hold that person accountable or be able to know at least what can be done on that channel or what the purpose is because they need to be involved. And so, yeah, not everyone's going to be me where they just do it all. And, but you can't be the other side of it where you have no involvement either and you have no understanding and you're trusting strangers to help repel you with marketing dollars. Like That's a scary situation to be in. So I think that dynamic is really hard for a lot of startup founders to to overcome. Interesting. A lot of insights here, Justin. Uh, Thanks a lot for sharing the details on your agency. This is uh, very helpful. A lot of our listeners are agency owners, so I'm, I'm sure this is gold for them. But yeah, I think uh, we have a lot to ingest. Uh, great journey on the restaurant to Link and Learn to Impactable. Congratulations on all the growth again. And uh, very insightful uh, details on LinkedIn ad. Where can people find you online, Justin? So yeah, if you like anything you heard and want to find out more, uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Justin Rowe. Uh, usually I'm one of the top results there. You can look our company up there as well, Impactable. Uh, I would say impactable.com is our main uh, website and also search for Impactable on YouTube. It's a really good resource. And I, I actually packaged a beginner's playlist, a beginner's LinkedIn ads playlist. And there's also a a playlist for startups. So it's tech stack that I find useful marketing strategies that might be really relevant to startup founders. Those are probably the main yeah. places and resources. Sounds great. Thank you so much for your time, Justin. Really appreciate it. And all the best. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. The Art of Social Media is brought to you by Social Pilot. To find out more about Social Pilot and how we can give you everything you need to hit your social media marketing goals, visit socialpilot.co. And then make sure to search for The Art of Social Media in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Social Pilot, thanks for listening.